Oh. It is the Roller Off the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast on location, Rochester Hills, Michigan. Game number two of the 25 glorious season celebration of the Rochester Grangers, who have brought to town the club they they say helped them start it all. The Columbus Capitals. We are in the second game of the day. That means we're playing 1864 rules. Rochester Grangers came away. Winners 13 to 8 in the first game. Don't listen to any other score you ever hear. 13 to 8. That's accurate. Capitals are uh, Grangers are in the field. Capitals coming to the line. It's Rudy Frias. Lead off hitter for the Capitals. We timed that one pretty right. Remember, when you hear a ding. That means a pitch was thrown. Fly ball to center field, way up in the air. A beautiful bound, bound rule. Uh, don't. No bound. The center fielder caught it in the air with his hands like a man would. Did not wait for a bounce, and probably because Rudy hit it directly to him. It's going to bring up Nick Sanders too far. We were just talking to Nick about a possible curling situation happening in the uh, off season and uh i'm intrigued Bing. i don't know anything about curling i'm intrigued good bound match swing there rudy hey uh <laughs> and that's gonna be a one oh. oh it's gonna it was a line drive center fielder was surrounding the area as if they were going to make the bound play but it stayed low do you uh i heard in the uh podcast that you did with uh, adam johnson you were trying to get into the mind of swan fox rius at the dish do you want to know what i was thinking in that first pitch at bat right there it is four o'clock and i have a three and a <laughs> three almost four hour drive home it's not four hours it's it's with it's construction hour and a half for me which takes it down to it's 2.45 for you. No. It, it, really? Owl ball. <laughs> My name is Jeff. <laughs> it took me three hours and 54 minutes to get here today. Why aren't I coming to the Ohio Cup? <laughs> That's a long, boring drive by yourself. Do you want me to drive up and then you'll drive me back down? No. Honey Badger don't care. No. Plus, I want to keep the game going. You know what I mean? There it is. That's base it in the left field. That's, That's going to move uh, too far up to second base. It is a nice shot. Look at that. Bringing up Ian Frias. I assume the, the lineup didn't change. Um, we did in input my father, but nope, same lineup. And, yep, he's right. You got it right there. You're good. Oh. Look at you. You don't want to be official, but you're official. Well, there's a difference. Between being official and being right, I'm right. <laughs> Boom. But I'm not official. Ooh, that was a good one. And just in case you're out there and you're like, oh, and he comes to an event, we'll just use his book. Now, do your own damn book. Do not do That's not us. That's the uh, hot mic over there. Yeah. Uh, I'm unofficial. <laughs> I will always be unofficial. You can't put your parameters on me. <laughs> Grounder to shortstop. That's going to be a force play at third base. Are you sure that's not me? That's 100% not you. Because I don't like it. There's got to be, because the speaker's right there. Where's the microphone? It's too close to the speaker. 
Where is the microphone? I think uh, the oh, arbiter has it on the other just side. Just on the other side? Next oh. to the other speaker. Well. Oh, look at look at Dynamite Frias ripping the ball down so the line. Saying, Honey Badger can't slow down, so he's just going to score. He don't care. There's a throw. Not in time. Look at that. That shortstop make it, made a good turn. <laughs> he caught it one hand, turned through a pretty accurate yeah. throw to home. It was too late. Um, Here's something I haven't said today. The Capitals are in the lead. What? Well, now, now we're, it's screwed up. Here we go. Don't worry. It doesn't last. Yeah, no. I've seen this movie. Yeah, me too. Why, why are you writing on that? That's not you. <laughs> there you go. I can't. I, well, these are collector's items now. You know, the like the Billy Ripken bat? Brad Grayley oh, with a base hit. Hang on. Look at it! Ian Frias is going to attempt to score from second. He needed that motivation. I apologize for yelling, but. He was giggling. There was definitely a giggle. Yeah. Now he needs that whole next inning off. Eric went to third? I know, right? Are you really letting him pitch? Yeah. He's, oh. he's a he's a man of um, conviction. And when he says he wants to do something, he wants to do it. So he wants to pitch. And he's terrible at it. So he'll not want to pitch in the second inning? Line drive down to third baseline. That's the hardest ball I've ever seen him hit. Uh, <laughs> did you just snore it? Eric Frias is going to score on that hit. <laughs> it wasn't the He's hitting plenty harder. Yeah. Mike just to go, first, go to Brad the, to second. Go to the YouTube channel and check out the matches. Don't. It's not there. <laughs> it will be. It still won't be there. Jason, well hit ball to center field. Center fielder's going to wait for the bound collect and it. collect it. Oh, coward. Here we go. One is dead. Three hands are dead. So Rochester, 1864 rules. That means we're catching it on a bound now. Um, for the cowards out there on the field. One of the greatest things and worst things ever happened between these games. So the food was open, and I went and ate. And I tell you what, I got a du- I double-plated. Look, you can't single-plate, and they were thin plates, mind you. But you can't single-plate a buffet-style food situation. So I double-plated. I don't mean two single-plates. I mean I double-layered. You know, because you need the extra stability on the plate. So I put some baked beans on there. Amazing. Uh, there were sandwiches. There was chicken fingers. Oh my God! There were there was uh, pulled pork. There was uh, there was so much food. There was uh, there was like spaghetti penne uh, pasta with extra sauce in a bowl. And so I put that in a separate bowl. And uh, I got my shirt in the sauce. And so here we go. Mr. Roland leading off for the Rochester Grangers. There's a pop-up to the shortstop. It's going to be collected at short by Frias for the first out of the inning. And uh, that's going to bring up Mr. Morris. You're going to see the Grangers... uh, with the gentlemen that have come into town for the celebration, but we're not playing, uh, they're going to sneak at bats in this in this second game. So we'll try to show some sort of accuracy uh, with who comes in. Uh, there's a ball down the left field line right off the end of the bat, I think. 
Once you get past the parking lot down the left field line, there's a lot of grass foul territory over there. So, uh, true to his word, we have Eric Frias pitching for the Capitals in the first inning. Uh, Eric said during the break that he's a batting practice pitcher. So he said he's going to be serving it up. No lie. He said he's got one speed in his arsenal. There's a grounder to third baseman. It's going to die in the grass a little bit. He's got to come up and throw, and that's not going to be there in time. It's a base hit for Mr. Morris, bringing up Mr. Siebert, who has been crushing the ball. Crushing the ball. Anyway, the best thing is a meal between games. The worst thing for a player is a meal between the games. Oof. I'm not even playing, and I'm feeling it. I'm struggling. I'd say Eric Frias is deliberately keeping it low to Mr. Siebert, but he's really not trying. Oh, that would have ended up in the crick. Oh, a grounder to third base. There's going to be a throw to first. Not in time. That must have called Mr. Morse on at first on that play. So Mr. Siebert winds up at first on the misplay. Roadblock is uh, up taking in at bat. Uh, for in Boomer's spot. There's a base hit down the left field line. And Honey Badger's going to come over, knock it down, get it in so there's no advancement. Uh, roadblock, one of the original founding members of the Grangers, I believe. Waiting for an invitation. Oh, my God. Did you hear that voice? Mike K is up. Uh, roller on the barrel vintage baseball podcast is happening right now. Mike, high and deep to center field. Gentleman Joe catches it with two hands like a man would to bring this inning to an end. Uh, we're joined by Paul Hunkley, member of the Regulars Baseball Club of Mount Clemens. I have a question. The question is, you obviously have a history with the Rochester Grangers. What is it? I think I started with the Grangers in their second year and uh, played with the Grangers for a couple, three years. Started my own club and still played with the Grangers and the regulars for a couple of years and left the Grangers and continued with the regulars. Were the Grangers your first vintage baseball experience? They were, yeah. yeah. So how did you come across the Grangers? You know, like a lot of other people, Smithsonian article. I was at a high school for a boating class in the library, and there was a book there with a Smithsonian article on it. And I happened to see in the newspaper they were playing Clarkston at like a Civil War encampment. So I went out there and haunted them. Of course, you know, early club, they were short. They put me in right field. I think their next game was in Sylvania, and I followed them down to Sylvania. Umpired. I had no idea what I was doing. But. So what season of it of theirs was it? Was it their first or second season? 2000. So, so second, second season? Second season, yeah. Second season. So uh, that's 25 years ago. Do you wish you would have found vintage baseball sooner? I suppose. You know, I was playing softball for a while. but uh, Kip pounds it into the ground for the Capitals. That's going to be a base hit. He's actually going to. Nothing you can do about that. Where's your little bell? That? I was too busy talking to you. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's bringing up Rudy Sr., who didn't play in the first match. 
Uh, but he's going to take some swings in the 1864. We'll see how he adapts to the 1864. Of course, the Columbus Capitals being from Ohio, many and most of the clubs play 1864, so this is nothing new to the Capitals, actually. There was a time when everybody played 1860. I'm not sure why we picked up an 1864 at one point. There's a grounder to the shortstop. There's a mishandle. What a play at first base. A shorthanded pickup at first base to record the out on Rudy Sr. So you're saying... You're saying 1860 is what everybody was doing in the beginning of the reincarnation? The very beginning was 1858. 1858. The BBBA was first formed. Then we found the Beatles. I say we, but it was before my time. Found the 1860 Beatles had a lot more detail. So they transferred or transitioned to 1860. That would have been the late 90s. So then what? So then it's speculation. Uh, The transition from 60 to 64. What do you attribute that transition to? Josh Good grounder to third base into the left field. Kip is going to take his third. Josh is going to end up at first. It's going to bring up Gentleman Joe with one out. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, 1864, you have the second pitcher's line. But when we played 1860, nobody was taking a running start anyway. There's called balls in 1864, but 1864, the first year of the called ball, there really wasn't much of that. That was slow to pick up. 67 is when they started in turn trying to call most pitches or some pitches. Yeah, so I understand why a transition to 67 ball would have been made, but a transition from 60 to 64 is a little... Yeah, I agree. And we went to 64 because when I started the club, we were playing in, on Sterling Heights, and we were the Upton Ball, ball Club of uh, Sterling. And then Gentleman we learned Joe. Through. Grounded short. There's going to be a throw over to second for a force. Streetcars in the game at second base right there. To handle that. Kip is going to score. Josh out at second base. Joe's going to make his first. That's going to bring the top of the lineup. Uh, Rudy Frias uh, back up here, making the score 4 2 nothing in favor of the Capitals. We learned from Peter Morris's book that there actually was a ball club in Mount Clemens in 1867. So we moved to Mount Clemens and became that ball club. Change your name from the Upton Baseball Club of Sterling to the regular baseball club. How many seasons as Rudy Frias is going to hit a double over the center fielder's head? That's going to score Gentleman Joe all the way from first. Rudy's going to make his second. Two runs in for the Capitals this inning. How many seasons did you play as Upton? We were the Upton Baseball Club for just a couple. First we were the Sterling Uptons, and we learned that syntax would have been wrong, so we were the Upton Baseball Club of Sterling. That's the period syntax, and we learned of the Mount Clemens Club, club from Peter Morris's book. Nick Sanders, fly ball in the center field. They're going to wait for the bound out there and collect the out. Cowards. Well, that was a fair catch on a bound. He didn't back up on that. He caught it on the bound. He's a coward, Paul. Um, it would have took a, a lot more running to get to that in the air, but it could have been done. Capitals uh, score two, take a five to nothing lead going into the second. So uh, so you say you transitioned to the Mount Clemens Club and you were doing 1867? When we first became the Mount Clemens Club, we realized this club existed after the Civil War-ish. So we w- still wanted to play the bound because we thought that was more. Plus everybody was playing the bound. Mm. And that's as late as we could still play the bound, 64. So we became a 64 club, even though we were a post-Civil War club. 
So we were fudging it a little bit. Because it was an 1867 club back in the day. We eventually became a 67 club. So are you, because when people think of the regular baseball club of Mount Clemens, you're five to nothing. Are you the official unofficial. I'm unofficial, Paul. <laughs> nothing official about me. I'm just right. Uh, and that's going to bring up Mr. Westgate to lead off for the Grangers. You guys are synonymous with being the most accurate by the rule club in Michigan. I can say that, uh, and that's accurate. But did you start out that way? Oh, no. I mean, the intent was, but. Fabulous play by Rudy Frias Jr. at shortstop, making it look harder than it really was. <laughs> As he one hands the pickup and momentum taking him towards home plate, will throw to first. Ian Frias will collect at first. I'm sure it'll look great on video, but eh, it was all right. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, up center field. That's going to be a bounce. And oh, Gentleman nice Joe is off his shoe tops on the run. On the run, yes, just like Paul said. Even the people cleaning their pool out in deep left field uh, acknowledge what a fabulous play that was. Mr. Malman's up for the Grangers. Uh, so you guys start the vintage baseball process with just wanting to be a part of the process, and then it evolves into we want to be. the club to try to play in the same manner as they did in the 1860s. Because a lot of people weren't. I just wanted to try to do that. Grounder to third base. Josh Good is up with it. Throw to first. It's going to be, a, uh, I think, a short hop. It's going to get by first base. Mr. Mom is going to end up at his second. And so so this is all before my time. Were there pushback from other clubs on how accurate you wanted your presentation to be? Two hands are dead. Well, sure. I mean, you, you have clubs come in that, that wouldn't want to steal. That still happens. Sure. All over the country. Here's one of those. Uh, but the accuracy is, as you can see, Rudy Frias just got cocky and tried to do the same exact play he did earlier. That did not work out. It died in the grass. He didn't have a chance. Peg leg is up. Uh, but you guys have stayed true to yourselves. And even though you've been willing to adapt, because really baseball is the most important thing. Playing baseball is the most important part of the formula. The second most important part of what vintage baseball is, is uh, the accuracy. And you guys have had to, what's the word I'm looking for, Paul? You've had to accept the fact that that doesn't happen a lot. Well, when we first started doing vintage baseball back in the 1990s, we thought we were doing everything accurately. That was their initial goal. There was no compromise. We were going to do everything as accurately as possible. But as we learned, there were things that we weren't doing accurately. Knocked down by the pitcher. Peg leg's going to get thrown on at first. We, meaning the community, just chose not to change. Ace does not tally. And that's one of the things I push our club to do. When we learn something, we Three change. And the regulars do have, much like the Greenfield Village Lottie does, the benefit of somebody or a resource that reads everything, that looks at everything that is found. Uh, the research is done, so if you find something, the club takes that information and puts it into their repertoire of vintage baseball. But 95% of the vintage baseball clubs do not have that going on. 
they don't have somebody researching. They don't have somebody reading. That's true. They're going off of what they come across. It's more of a, an osmosis thing. Field, yeah. As uh, so you see the clubs that really have a research department, which is really what you are. You're one person, but you're a research department. That's where the more accurate uh, gameplay comes into play. Honey Badger here for the Capitals to lead off. Well, we have allies. There's a lot of people that are Richard Hirschberger and Bob Folks are a whole lot better at, at finding period documentation, digging up the period newspapers, and they don't hesitate to, to share it. I mean, Richard, I, I sent him a thumb drive. He sent me virtually all the newspapers from the 1860s on a thumb drive. You just have to sit down and read them. It takes time. Correct. And you find something, you snip it out, you put it in a file, and if the question ever comes up, you've got it. Honey Badger, back to the catcher. There's probably been a lot of times where you've run across a news clipping uh, that references something that you then think, well, it's been referenced. We should probably do that. And then you come across another news clipping, and you're like, well, why didn't? Why is that different then? And then which way do you go? Interpretations a, by people writing the news clippings a back in there. There's of touching the ball to the base on a force. There's a pound to the third baseman, and Honey Badger is going to beat the throw. To get At the Greenfield first. Village, they play 1867, primarily because they try to recreate the Detroit World Tournament. And the ads for the Detroit World Tournament said, we are following the Haney's Guide, those interpretations. And one of the interpretations in the Haney's Guide was the ball itself can't be touched to the base. It has to be part of the player touching the base. And then we, not too long after, found somebody writing in the newspaper that had read the Haney's Guide and said, can I touch the ball to the base? And the person answering that letter from correspondence said, of course you can. Why wouldn't you be able to? Well, the thought being in, in earlier forms of baseball, you'd hit the runner with a thrown ball. And they didn't. That was a long fly ball. Very foul. So for the sake of lack of argument, is the consensus was if somebody touches the ball to the base, we're going to assume part of their hand touched the base as well. Here's a long fly ball into the tree, over the tree, over the left fielder. To grandmother's house we go. Everybody's running. Honey Badger's going to score. The throw's just getting into the center fielder to get it in. Uh, Stand-up double by Ian Frias. That's going to be, that's going to take that score six to nothing as the Capitals have uh, come out here swinging in the second game. I believe that rule came up during a world's tournament about the, uh, the base touching the ball, touching the base. And did somebody's finger, I remember this conversation. Did somebody's finger, somebody's finger, part of his finger touched the base as well. Cause we're not going to go there. Uh, Eric Frias, fabulous hit foul. And uh, Eric Frias, fresh out of retirement, one day only, before he goes back home and enters retirement again. But really wanted to be a part of the 25 years celebration of the Rochester Rangers. These guys here I haven't seen in 10 years. And as a grounder to third base, it's going to get a long throw over to first, and that's going to be tallying the out. Ian Frias is going to make his third. It's a very long throw from the third baseman, uh, Mr. Johnson, over to first base. Brad Gurley is up. 
for the uh, Columbus Capitals. Mr. Gurley's been swinging the bat well today. Back to the pitcher. Pitcher knocks it down. He's going to get to it. I don't think he's going to have time to get a throw. He doesn't even attempt to throw over at first, which is Granger's baseball. They really limit their mistakes by not throwing the ball around as vintage baseball players do, Paul. When a misplay happens, the first thing they want to do is come up, turn, wheel, fire with everything they have, totally forgetting there's somebody that has to catch that with their bare hands on the other end of that play. And there's uh, Mikey P to center field. Ian Freya scores. Brad Grayley takes a second. I guess I never knew you were scoring the game at the same time. Unofficially. Uh, but I'm always right, as I say. Chasing Grayley up. There's a long fly ball to right field. It's going to bounce over the fence. Over the fence. Now. I don't think there was enough bounce on that ball to make it to the crick. It was a very small hop over the fence. Uh, the, the game ball in the first first match hit the crick a couple of times. The ball's been hit to right field four times a day, and three of them went over the fence on a one in the air, two on a bounce. In my playing days with Bay City, I think I remember the crick being a lot more rapid than it is now. Base is loaded right here for Kip, former Columbus Capital. Coming out of retirement. One day only. Boy, I feel I just said that. There's a pop-up. Third baseman calls. It falls. Every guy's got everybody's gonna run. No infield fly rule. There's a force at home. Nothing the runners can do on that situation. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. I believe they said that in the 1890s. I made that up. I have no idea. Rudy Freya, senior fly ball into left. They're going to wait for the bound. Catch it like a coward would. Going to the bottom of the third. Uh, how is the uh, the regular season going so far this year? Uh, Paul? Win some, lose some. Same old, same old. Fence who shows up. <laughs> Young guys show up. And you have legs in the outfield. You do well, but if you don't, you don't. Legs in the outfield. Should get that on a shirt. That's what uh, everybody's re recruiting plan should be called. Legs in the outfield. We're working on pitching now because Ray retired. Right. Trying to find somebody Breaker to pitch. To well, you're never going to find anyone to pitch like Ray. As long as they follow the proper style, I'm happy. They don't have to be as strong. Yeah. That's what we're working on. So I've been Ladies and gentlemen, we have in our midst.
was a star, but now he resides in Ohio to ply his trade in tar. So today we celebrate the things he did while wearing the coveted RG. Of all things Granger known to us, his voice will ever be. As a, a poem by Moonlight to Streetcar, uh, we had Streetcar join us at the beginning of uh, the first match and give us a history lesson on the beginning of the Granger Club and how the Columbus Capitals factored into that. The Capitals coming to Rochester, uh, having a meeting, teaching them really the administrative side of the game, and then the rules, and then hitting the field for a scrimmage and teaching them how to play the game. And then in the first game today, the Grangers taught the Capitals how to play baseball. It was a great full circle event. Eric Free is still out. Rounder to third. That throw is going to be too long. No. Straight in. <laughs> A misplay at first is going to give uh, Streetcar a single, a break in the action. Paul, how did you get involved with Greenfield Village? I was learning more about how baseball is actually played, and we had research resources. And there are allies there that are also interested in research resources and started sharing documentation. And we both had the same goal, to try to play as accurately as possible. So it was through that that you were able to begin a relationship of being involved in the baseball program how soon was it into where you're looking at umpiring some important matches? Because I, I remember you doing that. You still do it from time to time uh, at Dearborn. How far into that relationship did that happen? Well, there was a time when I was running the regulars, and I took a year off and went and played at uh, Greenfield Village. This was a planned year situation, or you a, didn't know? It was. I was having trouble with the regulars. Having trouble with the regulars, like a lot of ball clubs, um, there were various people that weren't that interested in accuracy, and I was tired of the battle. So that actually spilled over to your own club, uh, the lack of accuracy issue. Absolutely. And uh, so you went to Greenfield Village and found out they're not completely accurate too, right? They're trying. The the trouble with Greenfield Village is there's so many volunteers. There's like a 40-person volunteer pool. And you're, like, trying to move a very large ship. Um, and we've had seminars, and uh, it's been helpful. Well, over the years, you've always tried to impress upon me the the need for accuracy. And when I got in, involved in vintage baseball, well, there really wasn't a lot of it, to be honest with you. There wasn't. Thanks to some clubs, one for you for sure, uh, but then you've, You've actually gotten the benefit of a young club like the Canton Corn Shuckers who come in and now are trying to turn that corner to be accurate as they want to go to a the complete full rule set accuracy in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that definitely helps with what you've been trying to get done for years. Now when people say they're stealing, the ball's never dead. It actually isn't an insult like it was when I was playing. 
Like you heard that and everyone was like, uh, but now when people hear it, it's different. There's a different reaction. People are like, that sounds cool. Right. You only had to work at it for 24 years. 20 years yeah. But I remember many conversations we've had were uh, because I was always interested in doing events and, and doing things. And you would always come to me in one fashion or another and just press up the point. Accuracy is important. You did not bother me with it. You did not try to hit me over the head with it. But you always told me in one shape or another that accuracy is pretty important. Well, I'm just trying to find out who wants to know the difference. Because a lot of people don't want to know the difference. And if you find somebody that wants to know the difference, you can talk to them about the differences. If you find somebody that doesn't want to know about the differences, then you leave them alone. If you're coming to a vintage baseball game, I don't know, to watch a family member or something, you've never seen vintage baseball before, I would say you don't know there's a difference unless, so you're learning what you think the right way is the first time you see it. Mm-hmm. And you might not even know it's the wrong way. You might go on thinking that's the right way, and hence Michigan vintage baseball. Is that not how that happened? There was inaccurate rules taught to, in the beginning that was a tidal wave over how everybody learned. And instead of clubs, like I said earlier, instead of clubs having a research department or somebody learning the things, they're learning the club that's teaching them Word of mouth. and then passing it on to the next club. We did have resources from the very beginning. Um, there was a Rules and Customs Committee at the very beginning. The Rules and Customs Committee used to publish in the VBBA newsletter. You know Frederick Evor Campbell, the, the National Saber 19th Century uh, meeting is named after him. He was a very notable researcher. We had him in vintage baseball. We had John Hussman and Greg Rhodes also involved in vintage baseball, and they wanted to um, work as historians and professional baseball. But they would publish stuff in the uh, newsletter, and it's still in the archives at the VBA site, and people didn't run with it. It's surprising. When I first started learning stuff, maybe 10 years after they had published stuff, and I think of learning it the first time, and then you find in the newsletter, we knew that 10 years ago. Do you think it has anything to do with you start a club with your friends, you're all around the same age group, then eventually there's an aging process, a younger group has to come in, that younger group is not is coming into an already established club in an already established sport, you were starting out in something that was not established. You were building. It's built, right or wrong, it's built. There's no precedent for them to come in and learn. They're just coming in and doing what the club's doing. But when you were building, it was important for everybody to come in and learn because you had to. I just want to, how do you? I warned you. So you've been right ever since I've met you. Well, not always, no. Yeah, about the main things, though. Everybody's wrong about little things. But every time we talk about finished baseball, you've turned out to be right when I thought you were wrong. And uh, I, t- I say it all the time on the podcast that well, you were Well, if somebody right. thinks I'm wrong, educate me. I didn't think you were wrong in the education, though. 
So we just had a difference of philosophy. Oh, okay. And the philosophy was understood. is you think vintage baseball should be done in a historical and accurate manner. That was the intent initially. That's what we actually thought we were doing in the 1990s. And I would do events to try to get people interested. And I did not think the two could exist. I understand. Well, I was wrong. So I've done a lot of things since then to fix that. There you are, right in person. I told you you were right. Paul Hunkley told me the right way <laughs> of vintage baseball. I spurned him at the beginning, and he, you were right. Okay. So you got through to somebody. That's great. Appreciate it. <laughs> As uh, we still have a pause in the action, as there is an injury uh, at first base. Is it what's the rule? He he doesn't get a pinch runner, right? The jokes have started, so he must be he must be doing all right, not great. I did that ESPN tournament. I believe we used accurate rules for that. Were you in that? I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I was actually supposed to um, do some play-by-play for you, and you didn't. I didn't. I had a reaction to a sulfa drug. It kicked my butt. So that was years ago that I started realizing that the accuracy was was really important. Anyway, it's always a a hot button topic. Is I umpired for you once, at one of your festivals. The dead ball. This is the way I'm. I'm looking for the words. A conversation we had. I don't know if you remember it, but I've I've talked to Marcus Dixon and others about this. Is it's like a, a domino effect. The rules are written a certain way, okay? And if you take a rule and you change that rule to something that's more pleasing sure. to yeah. you, yeah. you're affecting more than just that one rule. Often, yes. You're affecting how other rules, what they mean, and how they got to that rule. So when you make the ball dead now, you're changing certain rules that are assuming the ball is live because there's no assumption the ball would be dead. It's not real. So that changes. It's not just a simple, you're changing a rule. You're not being accurate with a rule. No big deal. You're not. You're being inaccurate with dozens of rules when you change one. It can cascade. It's like the, the balance between pitching and base running. Are you pitching slow because there's no base running, or is there no base running because you're pitching slow? Looks like we're going to get back to action here as there's a a pinch runner on first. Mr. Kowalski is going to take over for streetcar, and uh, Mr. LaFrance is up. Back to the bell. Grounder to second base. There's going to be a – oh, he's going to tag the runner, throw to first to complete the double play. Two outs now for the Grangers going uh, back to the top of the lineup, Mr. Rowland. Hopefully Streetcar okay, is uh, I just say, doing okay. He's batting this time around, too. So. <laughs> yeah. See if I can get Keith Walters over here to get an injury update on Streetcar. It looks like he fell and hurt himself, and he's hoping to feel better soon is the way I understand it. You don't have to use all that medical jargon with. Uh, in the best, case scenario, <laughs> best case scenario, someone was mentioning a cramp and it looks like they weren't in it. But other than that, they were being very precautious. Worst cramp in the history of the world <laughs> as Dan Rowland grounds it down to third baseline. It's going to be a base hit for Mr. Rowland. With professionals in the, in the house, we understand it's a possible cramp situation. As Mr. Morris is up now with the runner on first, two outs. So back to the regular club. I basically started the regular club to try to apply everything we were learning. Right. 
if it worked, if it didn't work. And if it didn't work, why didn't it work? Why did it work for them? Why doesn't it work? So I hit back to the pitcher. Pitcher's going to knock it down. Throw to first base. I had to look around a couple of people to see the outcome of that play before I commented on it. Sorry about that. One of the that. challenges was getting the, the scores up. When our club existed, we can document the average score was like 60-something to 30-something. We've been able to do that a couple times. Mr. Siebert, who's been giving the ball quite a ride today, uh, is up. There's a hit right on the plate, or uh, a pitch on the plate. He went to right field. It's a fair ball. It's into the group of people over there. Linda Hunkley comes up with the ball, throws it in. <laughs> he was trying to be small. <laughs> it's going to score, Mr. Rowland. Mr. Morris is going to make his third. Mr. Sieber ends up at second as the Grangers get across their first. Well, that's what I was saying earlier, Paul, about the regulars is everybody in the beginning, the infancy of the regulars, the whole point of the club was to play baseball accurately. So everybody's going to soak that in. Everybody's going to do it. It didn't work that way. There was a point I gave up. Mr. Walters is up. Uh, now, did that happen because they were seeing how other teams were doing it? Other clubs? Yeah, that's the only outside pressure. There's a grounder to shortstop. Frias is going to come up, try to throw to first. It's probably a short hop or something. He's going to be safe. <laughs> oh, he hates when I do that. First and third, two outs. So then let me ask a sensitive question on that. I don't know if it's sensitive, uh, but it could be. So just don't answer if you don't want. You said you only left for a season. So what was the – what got you back? Base hit in the center field. How, why did you go back to the regulars? What was it? Did they ask you to come back? Because losing you is not only losing a resource, but you're also losing an organizer. It was one of the best things that ever happened to him because I was doing everything. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get people to do stuff with me. And I thought if, if I left for a year, they would just, like, we'll play baseball if, Supper afterwards, have people over. But they organized. They elected a president, a board. Grounder to shortstop. Frias is going to flip to third for no out. As it pulled him off the bag. Bases are now loaded for the Grangers. Three runs in, two outs, bringing up Mr. Mr. Johnson. So they actually flourished. They got some structure and organization. They thought it was because I thought they would just you know, show up and play baseball. But they wanted to organize, and I guess they realized early on that somebody needs to be. Doing. Ground ball to third. This should be a, t a force at third. Mr. Westgate's going to lead off for Rochester. So was it more of a you saw the fact that they really came through and started organizing, uh, no, developing? No, when I went back. Columbus Capitals. What's that? No, I learned Rangers that when I went back. Three. I just, I, I missed the club. I still wanted to try to do what I was doing. I just took a year off. So when you took the year off, did you think I'm just going to take a year off? Or did you think I'm going to take some time away and reevaluate? Sure. I was taking some time away, yeah. What do you, what do you want? Josh, good. Yeah. What's that? Oh. 
I thought you said back to the top. Do you see who's... He's trying to fill in my dead air. Do you see who I'm talking to? I'm so angry. You got to take the opportunity when you get it. You never know when it comes up again. Josh, good leading off. So what I'm doing now with the ball club, because we don't have a pitcher, is I'm trying to get everybody to understand how they actually pitch in the period and see who wants to do that. <laughs> base it by Josh Good down the third baseline. So I'm posting educational stuff on the regular baseball club of Mount Clemens Facebook page for my guys to read. Then I'll send it to them on TeamSnap because we have guys that don't use Facebook. Sure. And then when we get to the field, I try to see if anybody read it. And those are the guys, the people that read it, are the people interested in learning how to pitch. And then there's, I'm sure, a guy that wants to pitch that doesn't want to learn the rules. That happens. Yeah. Joe Jensen to center field. This might be trouble. It's surrounded. It's caught. It's caught with two hands like a man would do it. Barehanded, two of them. No advancement of the runners. Rudy Frias coming up to the plate. So is that your biggest problem right now? Is it's not it's not an accuracy, it's an accuracy of the pitching position because the man that you relied on to pitch until his arm fell off and he ran away from the game. Uh, ground ball to third base. There's a <laughs> see that is a situation where there's a misplay and you just come up firing and you totally forget somebody's got to catch that ball and uh, he, they did not. First and second for the Capitals. Uh, Nick Sanders up. Now, this probably doesn't come into play with a lot with the teams that you guys schedule normally, but if you played in, say, a tournament or a weekend festival, maybe the pitching becomes a problem. There's a bound out hit to center field. Josh Good is going to advance to third, and Rudy Frias is going to advance to second. Two outs. Uh, Jason Zedek is up. You don't have anyone you can rely on right now. You don't have that, but you're coming from a place where you had the guy that you relied on and many other teams wanted to rely on during special events. Is Ray so separated from the game that he is not available to teach somebody how to pitch? I hadn't thought about that. It's not as easy as just showing up and throwing pitches to home plate. I know. I've done batting practice pitching before. And you know, if we had been smart, we would have had a second pitcher. But we never really did. Well, I think something I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago is even when these blowouts are happening, and you referred to it earlier, and we're going to go back to what you said about the scores of what they used to be, and it seems like even when there's a blowout going, people won't leave their position that they're comfortable with instead of trying to learn and get experience at new positions. I think in these blowouts that happen in vintage baseball, you should definitely have – People pitching uh, in those situations. I mean, you had the, to have had somebody is, pitch because I'm sure Raid missed games. Man loves to camp. And our camping around ball games. Huh? We would have our camping crew. We'd take the whole pop up ball club, go camping. Honey Badger. Ooh, Ooh it does not give a, a big bounce in the foul territory down third base line, but uh, Mr. Johnson reaches down and gets it for the third out. So there can be times when you are having a blowout. And you want to try somebody pitching. 
But if he hasn't read anything about how you're supposed to pitch in the period, then he's just what's the point? Yeah, he's just copying the ball club. And it seems like I know Ray doesn't want to play. And if you if you called him and were like, "Hey, we just want you to teach somebody how to pitch," he's gonna think, "Oh, I don't want to play." But if you did, don't. We don't want you to come to a game. We want you to come to a practice and teach somebody how to pitch. We don't have practices. Well, you, if you need a pitcher, you should. How about a pitching practice of look it, and then you get Ray out there, and he shows everybody how it's done, and it goes over all the rules and how you do it, and everybody takes turns throwing the ball to the pitcher. There's a pop up into right center field. It's going to be caught on the bound by Mister uh, Jemson, Joe Jemson. For the first time of the inning. By the way, when Joe Jensen's uh, relatives came to this land, his name was Johnson. And they asked what the name was when they got to Ellis Island. And they said Johnson, and the person misheard and put down Jemson because he thought that's what <laughs> he thought that's what he heard. And so he's Joe Jemson or Jensen. Pop up to left field. Honey Badger's going to wait like a coward on the bounce. Yeah, that was two hands are dead. Come on, cowardly, Paul. Cowardly. David Nails. Now the decisions are really made in a bound match is base runner situations. Mr. Malman's up. If uh, catching it in the air, obviously runners can't advance. Waiting for the bound, they if you're sitting there waiting for the bound, they're going to be running. So that's really the only time it ever comes in when people are thinking about catching on the fly in a bound match. There's a base hit in the left field. Fine, Daisy Cutter. Mr. Ozaki up for the Grangers. I'm just spitballing with you, Paul, but maybe if they see it in person and they see it being done, maybe that's a, a better aid than reading. Which most people don't just do. have a conversation on, on our Facebook page about pitching, and somebody said, "Why doesn't somebody do a video?" And, and maybe we will. Three hands. A pop up by Mr. Zanke to second base. Columbus seven, three. They do have the score correct right now. That'll change. Uh, we go to the top of the fifth. Columbus coming up. It is seven to three. In favor of the Capitals in this 1864 presentation, we are only going seven innings. When you put a meal in between the games, pace of play slows down, plus an injury slowed it down too. But everyone's moving a little slower in this second match. I blame the pulled pork. There is no video. There currently does not exist a video of proper pitching etiquette in 19th century baseball. You know of no such video? No, I used to pester Eric to do something, but he said there is something somewhere, but I was never able to find it. <sighs> that seems like that would be quite uh, an important visual tool for current vintage baseball players. Not only pitching, but maybe a video that just covered one thing at a time. Is a lot of the techniques of a pitcher in the 1864-1867 were trying to overcome the restrictions that the rules were putting on him because the pitch speed was getting so high. 
they were creating rules to keep the pitch speed down. That the in 1867, the pitcher was supposed to stand. He wasn't supposed to take a run. He wasn't supposed to take steps. There's a ground note to third and by Ian Prius. The trouble with trying to do that in Vinny's baseball is you try to constrict the pitcher, and you're already using a pitcher that can hardly make it home as it is, and it doesn't work. Eric Frias, pop up to left field. Left fielder doesn't have to move much, and then waits for the bounce. He waited for the bound, and the bound never happened because it just died. So he surrounded the ball, waited for the bound. The bound came about two inches off the ground and died immediately. So the out is not recorded. Could have caught it like a man. Oh, well, we don't do that. I think it hit the tree. Do you? You think it hit the tree? Because it bounced right where he thought it was going to. Oh! Right center field, Brad Grayley. Right through the fence. No, it bounces off the fence. Eric Frias. We could have another injury as Eric Frias. No, don't. Don't you dare. We only have one stretcher. Eric Frias stops at third. Brad Grayley takes a second on a hard hit ball to right center field. Two hands up to the plate for Paul. This is an interesting time for me to ask you about this ambidextrous pitcher that's up to the plate right now. Okay. He pitches with both hands. I assume, and I have assumed in prior broadcasts, no such rule exists for any. No. It's a fair ball down the right field line that's going to score two. They're telling him to leg it. Uh, it did not. It went into the creek area, but it did not go through the fence. There's a little spot between where the Fence ends in the right field. Foul play that the ball can get through into the woods, and anything in through there is all you can get. It's like the flower bed in Bay City. Chasing Grayley up. So he pitches, uh, the gentleman that just hit that ball, he pitches ambidextrously, and he switches, he'll switch in the middle of an at bat. Grounder to short, high hop. Throw to first. By the first baseman. It's going to result in another run scoring, and Chasen's going to make his second. But there were no rules about that sort of thing. So he can basically do whatever he wants. Sure, as long as he doesn't balk. Right. Define what in 18 we're playing 64. Define what a balk is in 1864. As described in the Haney's, it's any motion that's part of your normal motion to begin the pitch where you do not complete the pitch. There's a ground ball to short by Kip. There's going to be a throw out to first base. Jason's going to make his third. Earlier on, it was whenever you draw back your arm. Before there was, before there was two lines, the pitcher could become in motion and yet throw to a base if he hadn't drawn back his arm. But the Knickerbockers proposed, I think, in the late 50s that they have another line that when the pitcher has started his approach, that once he passes that line, he can't throw to a base. After that, it would be a balk. But they would start their approach, be able to turn and throw to a base because they have not yet drawn back their arm. 1867, it specifies any motion that's part of your preliminary motion is starting your, your pitch. And any point after that, if you stop, it's a ball. How does that rule what, what, evolve? What I just posted on our Facebook page, 
was explaining that the pitcher has to stand in 1867. Grounder the to third. things they would do is to try to get velocity is, is often bend over. What the Haney says, if, if the pitcher takes the ball, bends over, and that's part of his normal beginning of his motion, he steps and looks around, it's a ball. Columbus, 10, Rangers, 3. See, that's what the community right there needs at large, is not just a sentence or two from somebody explaining the rule to them. See, that's a full-blown explanation. It's, it's like three paragraphs I just posted on the Facebook page. But more people are going to listen to what you said than what you <laughs> I posted. I say it as well as, I, as they said it. None of us do. That's what I, that's what I often <laughs> do. Somebody asks me a question, and I'll just post a citation. Peg leg coming up. Uh, we're Rochester Hills, Michigan at Van Hoosen Farm. Fly ball in the center field. The bound to Gentleman Joe for the first note. I'm being joined by Paul Hunkley. This has been four and a half seasons in the making or three and a half. I've gone 205 episodes waiting for this to happen. And uh, I'm, I am squeezing all of the juice out of this I can because it will never happen again. So Mr. Kowalski is now has claimed his original place in the lineup. Uh, so you have played here when that was left field. Right? Yeah, yeah um, home was where the right field foul flag was. This parking lot wasn't here, and there's a window. Pop up short. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Frias with the error. Mr. Kowalski takes his first. So home plate right there at that flag. In that, in that corner. Was the fence there yet? Did they have anything? Well, there's no need for that fence because it was, just, uh, it was a right field line. So that fence is only there for baseball? It has nothing to do with the fact that there's a creek right on the other side of it. You'd have to ask Mr. McKay, but I think that fence came up for the sake of keeping the ball out of the... So a lot of foul balls into the creek. I don't recall that so much, but yeah, there's that potential. I mean, how many foul balls have gone into the... Uh, three. Yeah, over here? Right idea, yeah. right like three today. Behind the, the calf. What do you call this place? Behind the stone wall. Calf. <laughs> it's a... Cow Museum. Cows. What's this area called? The other side of the stone wall. What? What's this area on the other side of the stone wall? What is that? Like a bullpen. Bullpen? It's a bullpen. It's actually a bullpen. Yeah. It's the bullpen. And it's a dairy farm, and I don't know. I don't know. Is this the calf farm? Here? There's a base hit into right field. Just, uh, just oh, off. Oh, oh, no. No, no. Someone. Somebody do something. See, that's what happens. What happened there was the runner was coming in, and he saw the ball hit the fielder's hands, and he assumed he held it. He dropped it, and he went past the base thinking he was out. Two hands are dead. You should play assuming they're going to miss it. Because <laughs> it happens. Or just run as hard as you can. <laughs> They'll tell you if you're out. <laughs> but you're trying to do the right thing. You saw the ball hit his hands. You assume he held it. You don't want to stand on the base and then be that guy. Oh, is that legal? Yeah, baby. Was that legal? It was. How many errors is Rudy going to make at shortstop today? Are there errors? Get ready world tournament for Rudy Frias at shortstop. Are there errors or just learning experiences? No, he's not going to learn anything. I was going to say, Mr. Roland doesn't have the body of a leadoff hitter. It's hard to keep the body moving. You know. but, but, you know, Mr. Morse is up. First and second, two ounce. 
Rochester currently down 10 to 3. Eric Freya still pitching. He said, if I'm coming out of retirement and driving to Rochester, Michigan, you're going to provide me with three things. Food, I want to pitch, and I want you to make as many errors at shortstop as possible so I look much better than you. Rudy has accomplished all three. <laughs> There's a ball in the center field. Rudy's going to go after it with that never-quit attitude. So plucky. Base is loaded two outs. This is not. Look, when the Capitals are playing and the base is loaded, you don't want to see Ian Frias. And when you're playing the Grangers, you don't want to see Steve Siebert come up. 1967. Right. But if people don't want to do it, they're not going to do it anyway. I would say if somebody has not pitched vintage baseball but plays vintage baseball and is thinking about changing or being is a that's a crick ball. Ball ball. Ball ball. Look, go look for that. He's trying. Uh I would say if you're looking to maybe add pitching to your arsenal of vintage baseball prowess, huh? Huh? I would say the first thing you would do is watch a video that doesn't exist at this point. Following that video isn't going to make you a, a stronger, faster pitcher because that restriction That's up in 1867 to was to keep the pitcher in check. So you can pitch with more velocity not following the But we know pitchers, but Mr. Pashuda pitches with velocity. Does he not? He does. Mr. Kozlowski pitches with velocity. He does. Mr. Besserell, who doesn't play anymore, Butterfly, pitched with velocity. Mr. Rawl of Bay City pitches with velocity. And they are all following the rules. So you can pitch with velocity. Can. You can. You just got to practice. Yes. Well, isn't that what baseball is about, Paul? (laughs) If you're going to get good at anything, don't you have to practice it? Pop up to the first baseman. Ian's going to drop it. That was way too much time to think about a pop-up. Can't. And there's so much spin on that. You can't catch that. It's not fair. They should they should invent some kind of rule. Oh, that was not good. Because his name is Josh Good. Right through the wickets at third base. It's going to score another run. This is what it looked like in 1864 when the, the wheels fell off the bus. As Rochester has scored another run this inning, it is now 10-5. to Bases loaded. There are two outs. Mike K is up. So the lesson that we've learned is if there was a video out by Ray, this is how you pitch. Here's the rules. Let me demonstrate some pitches. Nice little five-minute or less video. That could get shared across the entire vintage baseball community. More people would pitch correctly. And, uh, yeah. And then he can ride off into the sunset. I'd say he's not done yet. He's got one more thing to do. He can do it while he's camping. There's a high fly ball on the left field. Honey Badger goes back, surrounds the ball. There looked like bobbles. I don't know. He Anyway, he's running in with the ball. Three hands are dead. Ten to five. Five complete innings. I think it fell out of his hand, but he got it before it hit the ground. Rangers, five. As close as you can come to an ice cream cone catch in vintage baseball. There's a big knoll in left field, and he was swinging to the left. Controversial to who? Some jackass who doesn't want to learn how to pitch right? 
That's probably we probably said some controversial things. <laughs> Josh, not so good on the last defensive stand. It hits a baseball in the left field. It's a bounce over to left fielder's head. He's gonna get into second. Joe, the possible most valuable player of the Capitals this day of baseball. Gentleman Joe. Did you hurt your hand out there, Rudy? Did you get hurt your hand? On which one of your errors did that happen? Are they using a factory ball? Yeah. Not only that, those factory balls from like two or three years ago, they're the good ones. I almost consider whether we should even be using Subjective. Joe to center field that's going to be surrounded. Caught with two hands, bare hands, two of them like a man would do. We just use corky balls. Yeah. They're still a look at it's a collector's item. It's a Yeti's encounter button. On a different day, can you track it? Oh, through the center fielder's hands. Josh Good is going to score. Rudy Frias is at second. I mean, his hand isn't hurting that bad. One run in for the Capitals. Too far, Sanders to the line. One hand is dead. It's a made-up term. Wrong-hander? I think it's one of the few things I've ever read. What did they say? Did they say anything? They didn't say anything, did they? It was, just, was I think they could tell. <laughs> There's a line drive into right field off the bat of Sanders. It's going to be held. Frias is going to take his third. But was there left-handed and right-handed? Did that oh, yeah. talk even Absolutely. exist? They're, yeah, they're definitely left-handed people. Well, I'm not asking if people were left-handed. Obviously, they were left-handed. I'm asking if the actual term right-handed and left-handed was used. Batting with the left hand is what I've read. Batting with the left hand. Grounder to second base by the Honey Badger. You better hurry up and throw that. It's not going to be in time. Rudy Frias is going to score that run. Two runs in for the Capitals. Here in the top of the sixth inning on a fabulous day of baseball, uh, Keith, give everybody your thoughts. Now Now I can ask this question because the day is almost over. How did the event go? It's great. It's uh, We got great weather. Uh, everyone seems to be having a good time. Uh, even even the one player who ended up on his back was in good spirits. <laughs> so, no, nah, we've got tons of food. Uh, we got a beautiful day. We've had tons of folks here having just a, a great Saturday. And... Uh, I hope everyone else is having a good time, too. <laughs> Tell us what your favorite food item was. In there. Um, I don't know who picked up some key lime pie, and I'm pretty picky about that. But that was great. Um, I, I didn't sample too many things as I was running around, but I started with that. That's a, that's a pro move. If you don't know, eat the dessert first so you don't fill up and forget about it. I love key lime pie. I didn't have any of that. Are we still allowed to eat when we're done here, oh, or is yes, it all put please. away? No, please. I I have no plan for what to do with six plant, six pans of chicken and desserts, and there's a sheet cake, and please eat. But my question is, is there key lime pie? There were two, there were two. Yeah, there's and I don't know. I haven't been in there since. Because now I'm excited about key lime pie. And if I walk in there and there's no key lime pie, somebody's going to pay for that. That's good. <laughs> that was my stomach. <laughs> my stomach started talking. 
I'm not going to stop you from getting me a piece of key lime pie. I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to do it, but I'm not going to stop you. Key lime pie is my jam. Good, it should be. I went I went to Key West and I was tasting key lime pies all over the place. Not impressed. I've heard that before. Not impressed. Mr. Westgate, fly ball to center field. Uh, Gentleman Joe has been catching everything today. Gentleman Joe. What a game he's, what a day he's had. One out. I've heard similar things about Chicago dogs in Chicago. Better other places. (sighs) But I will tell you, I went and I tried Philly cheesesteaks all over Philadelphia. And I'm like, you know what? They're good. I I mean, they're good, but they're not great and then i went to one oh my god i can't remember the name of the establishment ground ball to third base there's an error it's going to get mr johnson on first uh, i'm going to have to go back and and look in my uh the history on my socials but there's a place people recommended to me it was way out of the way uh compared to like the heart of the city and everything and i went there and let me tell you what it changed my life if you're a tourist <laughs> if you're a tourist there's two that are across the street from each other pretty close Pats and Geno's, so it could have been one of those. It was not. Well, that's good. There, there are other places that if you're not a tourist, that's where you go. So maybe you got to go to one of those. Because I've heard from, from Philly folks that there are other better cheesesteaks. Yeah, this place was highly re- recommended by so many people. And I had eaten so many cheesesteaks up until that point. <laughs> and, oh, my God, there's key lime pie. Then Paul saw another pie, and he's like, I'm having this. And I went there, and they said, no cheese whiz. And I'm like, I'm not smart enough to know cheese whiz should go on this. Bounce back to the pitcher. Mike's going to throw to second for the force. Okay, so that's the situation where everybody forgot they were playing bound. So two outs. Uh, Mo Johnson out on the bound to the pitcher. Pitcher gets the runner in a pickle between first and second that was on first base. Uh, Mo Johnson still makes his way down to first base, is wondering what's going on, and he was already out. Two outs, runner on first. This might be rhubarb. Oh, special bonus for you. So good. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. There's a high fly ball. Well, short center field. It's going to fall in for a hit. We are two outs in the bottom of the six. We are only going seven. Columbus is up 12 to five. Peg leg is up. High fly ball to center field. Gentleman Joe's going to surround it, catch it with his hands, his two hands, his two bare hands, like a man. It's going to be the end of that inning. Going to the top of the seven, 12 to 5 in favor of the Capitals. Score Capitals 12, Rangers 5. This is a good key lime pie. Crust is very crusty, very crumbly. The Grangers still have to sing their song. So here it is, quite possibly the last at-bat of the career of Eric Frias. We'll see. Something will pull him out of retirement later. Come on, Eric, don't suck. Base in the left field. It's a single. Really double line. Brad Grayley, who really got a hold of one to right center uh, his last time up. My bell performance is really falling off. I did so well in the first game. There's a two-hopper to shortstop. The force at second is uh, there in time. The second baseman drops the ball, goes and picks it up, gets back to the bag, not in time. First and second here for the Capitals. 
as two hands. Rudy autographed a card that he's not on. <laughs> Limited edition. It's almost like a misprint. There's a grounder into the outfield. That's going to load the bases. It's a highlight of my day, though. Eric Frias has decided to score. It was a highlight of my day. The two stars of the Roller Out the Barrel podcast signed my shirt. Yes, uh, one of the very few in <laughs> circulation, the Roller Out the Barrel podcast T-shirt. If you're listening to this and like, how did Paul Hunkley get a Roller Out the Barrel T-shirt? Well, if you go to our Facebook group at the top, there's a pinned post about a T-shirt that you can get at any time. Chasen uh, just makes the first down of the inning, bringing up Kip. Definitely a foul ball. Who's important? Who's important? Is the back of that shirt? Yeah, a different print. Wow. Out of reconstruction. It sure is. Kind of like it. Our uniform trousers are like that. We, we buy work pants, but we have somebody take out the back of the pants so that it doesn't have any back pockets anymore. But, of course, it's not the same fabric. So after 10 years, it fades differently. Grounder to second. Count on that? No, nope. nope. died in the grass. Base is loaded for Rudy Senior. Normal bat. I thought he used a bigger bat. Grounder to short. There's a force at first. A throw to second for a double play. One run across for Columbus. Bottom of seven. 13 to five. There are some Grangers that were ready to just call it a day. But no. Which reminds me, going back to the very accurate runs scored during the era, and you said you didn't really play in too many matches that actually recreated scores that happened, like 60 to 30. Why? What is causing that? Period guide for baseball. It said to have enough room for baseball, you needed 400 feet in width and 600 feet in depth. The ball was a little rubber rocket. We can document outfielders not getting under the ball, having a bounce off their hands, and not being able to find the ball in the grass. Our conditions are so much improved. And the ball was so lively. And, uh, and they couldn't just go out and cut the grass. Exactly. Infield and the outfield were... were Often different. You'd have the infield that was cut shorter, and the outfielder outfield not so much. They sit down the left field line by Mr. Kowalski as Rochester comes up here, three ounce away. Mr. Kowalski is going to actually stir his stumps to second base. How'd they do on that one, Paul? You stirred his stumps to second. You put some steam on. There you go. Often that stuff we read that somebody wrote in a period of count. Crazy legs, I tell you. To try to be colorful. We have no idea if they said it on the field, but yeah. it sounds like it's too long to be set on field. I don't think we have a documentation of Leggett being used either, but it was period-ish. Grounder to second. The throw over to first is low, a low and a misplay, as you're seeing a lot of. Physical and mental misplays at this point. 14 innings into the game. Uh, Mr. Roland up back to the top of the lineup. Oh, you said you said that your uh, vintage baseball name earlier was Pappy. Now, I was over here, and I understood you said Peppy. 
you could understand why I laughed so hard. <laughs> I might have mispronounced it. Pappy, I said. I was doing that at Greenfield Village for a while. Every year, 1867, it was the first year we played. So every year I'd be a different guy. And I was playing for the village at the same time I was playing with the regulars. So I couldn't be the same guy. So I'd have a different nickname. So Roland bounds out to the right fielder for the first out. They do score a run. And Mr. LaFrance takes his second. Making the score 13-6 to with one out. Mr. Morris up. Choking up on that bat. It's right to the shortstop. And that is the place to hit it. I'm telling you, it's a it's a wise strategy by Mr. Morris as it bounces off the shortstop and is a base hit. The shortstop was able to keep the runner at second. Good job, Rudy. It was Coot initially. Coot. So I started playing at the village and I needed a different nickname. So I made something else up there. Coot. No one uses that. Coot, coot, don't pollute. Mr. Sieber into the ground of the third baseman, just out of his hands. Frias is up with it. He's going to throw it a second. Uh, you know that's not going to go well. Base is loaded. It was John Hussman, who I think was the historian for the Toledo Mud Hens. Mr. Grace to the line. Said he'd tell me what a coot was. Because a, a coot was, in essence, a mud hen. Hmm. It's a waiting bird. Now, what's a mud hen? It's a long-legged marsh bird. Base hit into right field. It's going to score one. As Rochester went into this inning just ready to call it a day, and they've scored two, got bases loaded with one out, 13-7. to seven. Mikey K up to the dish. We get a big hit here with the bases loaded. The mood is about to change. Crushed to center. Center fielder's underneath it. Gentleman Joe catches it again in the air. The throw comes in. There is a tag. And that run will score. Nobody else moves up. That's going to make it 13 to 8 with two outs. Mr. Westgate is up. First and second. First pitch swing and foul ball. Nobody's going to get to it. Here's the offer. Grounder to third. He's going to head over to third to get that force. And that's going to end this ball game. Final score, 13 to 8. I want to thank Paul Hunkley for not only coming over and talking about baseball that's happening, but talking about baseball that has happened. And I finally got some, some information out of you about your past that I didn't even know that I really wanted to know. So thanks for spending some time with me. And, My pleasure. Uh, and now that joke is now dead on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can no longer say anything. Uh, oh, well, all things come to an end. something else. <laughs> so uh, on behalf of Paul Hunkley, Rudy Frias, the barrel roller, uh, thanks for listening as the final score is 13-8. to eight, Columbus Capitals over the Rochester Grangers. Be careful out there. <laughs>